be well, we are made right, we are made righteous, we are made holy as a result of what your son did on the cross. And so today, God, as we look more, look deeper in at your names, God, would you speak to us? Would you change us? Would we understand more about who you are? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to be jumping around again more in the Old Testament uh, to let you understand. If you are a first time with us or you haven't been here in a couple weeks, we want to let you know that we've been doing a sermon series called Hello, My Name is God, and we're looking at the names that God reveals to Himself or the names that are, He's even been called by other people uh, throughout Scripture in the Old Testament to, that reveal really God's character and attributes. And I want you to think about this. While our world is rife with war and terrorism, with crime, with hate, along with illness and physical and mental discomfort and illnesses as well, I want you to think about this. We see conflict in our churches, conflict in communities, we see rioting, we see violence, we see things in the street. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about what's just recently happened this week, uh, earlier, just four blocks away this week with the police officer being shot, which they now say was most likely uh, friendly fire, unfortunately, but be praying about that situation. But I want you to understand that we live in a world where there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of war, there's a lot of hatred, there's a lot of disgust, there's a lot of crime. And the reality is this, that sometimes during the worst situations, we see the truth about who God is. Sometimes the worst turmoil is really within our own lives, in our own soul. And when you suffer from pain, anxiety, depression, regret, and other mental issues, you suffer from an internal war, and exteriorly, we also see the war that's going on around us with the violence and crime. And I want you to think about this. The names of God reveal His character to us and His capability or ability to meet our needs. And so while we might, might see the wars that are going around us externally, there may be some internal wars that are going on in your life as well. And, and, and we, we looked at this and we said that the names of God reveal His character to us and His capacity or ability to meet our needs. And so through learning God's names, we begin to understand that God demonstrates His desire to know and to be known by us. And He reveals Himself so that we can know Him Personally, every time that God reveals himself through a name that he, he calls himself or somebody calls him as a result of what he's done, God shows us the ability to have comfort and peace in the midst of what we're going through. And so if you haven't been here, we've recently covered four names over the last couple weeks, and I want to explain these real quick as you begin to understand. Why? Because I believe wholeheartedly the more we understand God's names, the more we understand his capability and character. So in this is number one. In Genesis chapter one, it says, in the beginning, God. That term is Elohim. And Elohim is this creator of all things. He existed before everything existed. All right? And in the midst of that, what we have to begin to understand is that God is the creator of all things, and he's not sustained by anything, but yet he sustains everything. And so that is Elohim. And so when you hear the word Elohim, if you look in your Bible, a lot of times it'll be capital G, capital O, capital D, that's Elohim. All right. The next word we, we, we looked at, or the next name we saw was Yahweh, which we get our version. There's nowhere, matter of fact, you go back to the Hebrew Bible, Jehovah never shows up in the Bible. Do you understand that? All right. It comes through the King James Version. And what it was, was a result of them taking the consonants 
from Yahweh, the vow pointings from Adonai, and putting it together, therefore you get Jehovah. All right? So when you see the word or the, in your Bible, if you're reading the English Bible, it'll be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. That's Jehovah. That's what he's getting to. He's getting to this understanding. He's revealing more about who he is. And this is the point where I, I said that God is a relational God. And if you remember in Genesis chapter 3, when Satan goes and tempts Eve, Satan says, hey, good, it's great that you call him God, but Satan leaves off this relational aspect, and oftentimes that's what Satan wants to do in our life. God is some distant God who created everything, but he's not personal. And if he's not personal, you don't have to worry about the sin and the problems and the difficulties that you carry around. Why? Because God's not personal. He doesn't care about that thing. But Yahweh shows God as a relational, personal God. He has a relationship and wants a relationship with his creation, all right? The third name we looked at was Adonai. Adonai is the God who rules, all right? And we looked at that and we said that God in the ruling mentality, he is Lord or Master. In your English Bible, it would say capital L, little O, little R, little D, that's Adonai. So if you're reading through the Old Testament, you come to capital L, little O, little R, little D, Guess what you got? That's Adonai. He's acknowledging him as ruler or master. And we said that God as ruler or master doesn't just look out for him being the ruler as in this dominating dictator, but listen to what he says. In the midst of this, Adonai carries this idea that God provides, protects, and takes care of. A true master is not what we saw back in the 1700s with slavery in the United States. A true master looks out for the provision of his people, okay? So Adonai does not carry a dominating slave owner, but when we become slaves to the Lord, when we become servants of the Lord, we acknowledge him that he rules or he is master of our life. And then the last thing we said was Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah, with these words, when we see this, is this idea of, remember, Yahweh, Yira, this idea that the, he's the God who provides. And we looked at Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham, or excuse me, sorry, yeah, when, <laughs> I'm going brain dead here, just a little bit, all right? When Abraham is told to go and sacrifice his son, he takes his son out and he basically says what, what, what God is trying to do is to show himself that he is the blesser and he offers the blessing. So he, he asks Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. Abraham is obedient all the way to where God says, don't do that. Why? Because I'm going to provide the sacrifice. And what God was looking at is he's saying, I will provide for you what you need, but I want you to know that sometimes you're just going to have to trust my provision, that my provision is not going to come until the time I want it to come. So Jehovah Jireh carries that idea that the Lord is the provider. So as we look at those four names, I want you to keep in mind that we said this. There are three reasons why we should learn the names of God. Number one, we're commanded to honor God's name. Exodus chapter 20 says, do not take the Lord's, the Lord's name in vain. So we, we keep that in mind. So we we do that, so we, we honor the Lord's name, so we're commanded to honor God's name. Number two, we understand God's character. Next slide, Ethan. 
We understand God's character and experience His power more intimately. So when we study or learn the names of God, we understand His character. We experience His power more intimately, which we're going to dive into today. And number three, we we grow closer to God by learning His names or by knowing His name. And so if you remember anything today, I want you to remember this. I always have a key statement. One key statement for you to remember. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Remember this statement, that God is our warrior who fights for us, and he is our peace in the midst of a chaotic life. God is our warrior who fights for us, and he is our peace in the midst of a chaotic life. You may be struggling with peace. You may be struggling with a number of things that are going on. Maybe there are some battles you're facing in your life right now. Maybe there are financial things. Maybe there's personal things. Maybe there's job things. Maybe it's family things. Maybe there's a battle inside your life that right now you don't want to share with anybody else. But God is our warrior, and he is going to fight for you. And I want you to understand this term. This is called Jehovah Saba. This is his name, God's next name, Jehovah Saba. Yahweh Saba, the Lord our warrior. That is the key point that he's trying to say. He wants us to understand this. And it appears 250 times in the Old Testament. And it portrays God as a mighty war commander, able to bring to bear innumerable hosts of armies wherever and whenever he desires. If you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 5. We're going to be reading along Joshua chapter 5. Verse 13, and it really goes on to verse, or chapter 6, verse 2. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to understand what takes place here in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and it goes on to chapter 6, verse 2. Listen to what he says. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Now listen. Verse 14 is kind of an odd answer because most people are like, yeah, you're either for us or against us, right? Listen to what he says. Neither. It's like, wait a second, what? You're either for us or against us. He says, neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6, Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites, and no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with his king and its fighting men. Here's the picture that's going to take place, and we're going to jump over here in just a second, actually, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. But I want you to understand that Joshua can go into battle assured because God would be with him. Joshua's getting ready to go in to take the walls of Jericho. Joshua faces an insurmountable odds. Jericho, the walls that very much cannot be penetrated or broke down. Joshua and them are getting ready to go in, and he is keeping in mind If you will remember anything, I want you to know this, that Joshua, when he comes face to face with the commander of the Lord's army, understands and realizes and remembers what was said to him in Joshua chapter 1. Because in Joshua chapter 1, he's told on multiple occasions to be strong and courageous. And then in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, it says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be terrified, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. 
And what you begin to understand is this, that God is our warrior and he wants to fight the battles that you need to fight day in and day out for you. You ever thought about that? Now, look, I grew up pretty maybe rough and tumble, I guess. I don't know. I got into a lot of fights. And I know it doesn't look like it because you're like, you're a little skinny, scrawny dude. Yeah, that's why I suffer from short man syndrome, all right? Okay, you, guys, you know what I'm talking about. I always had that little cocky attitude. It was like, I don't care how big you are, but I will knock you out. And I got into a lot of fights. And I'll be honest with you, none of them I enjoyed. Not a single one. Even the ones that I won. I don't remember a single one. Number one, there's an adrenaline rush. And if you've never been in a fight, you don't know what I'm talking about. There's an adrenaline rush that actually gives you a headache. Number two, getting punched is not good. All right, I don't care who you are. I don't care how many times you get punched. It hurts, especially when there's no boxing gloves on. And boxing gloves hurt, all right? But to have the thought process is this, that in the midst of a battle that somebody would step in and go, no, no, I got this for you. We'll take care of it. I'll fight for you. And I'm not talking about a physical fight. Why? Because in Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, and the heavenly realms. Our battle is not against other people. And oftentimes the church ends up looking and going, well, see, our battle is against these people. No, it's not. Even the people who stand against the church, even the people who stand against God, our battle's not against them, is it? What is our battle against? Satan, the very one that the Bible says has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And so in the midst of this battle that we go in day in and day out, in the midst of the battles, we have to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood because we battle against the rulers and the powers and authority realm, in the, in the, in the authorities in the heavenly realms. But I want you to understand this. There is no way you can fight that battle on your own. And if you think you can, you've mistaken your greatness because you're not great. A lot of times we think, well, I'll just pick up my bootstraps and I'll stand up that much stronger against Satan. Guess what? You can't do it. No matter how hard you think you can fight, no matter how good of a fighter you think you are, no matter how strong you think you are, Satan is always looking for ways to weasel his way in to get you to get off the the track you're on to attack you in whatever way he can. And he doesn't look and go, well, that person's strongest there, so I'm going to attack the strong point. Guess what he goes after every time? The weakest point. And the sad thing is there's a lot of Christians who don't acknowledge their weakness. We don't acknowledge where we suffer, where we struggle. We don't acknowledge the problems we may face. And in Joshua, we got a beautiful picture of what takes place. And I want you to understand that God has made the same promise to us. Just as he told Joshua in Joshua chapter 6, He says, then the Lord said to Joshua, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. But I want you to understand this, that God promises never to leave us nor forsake us in Hebrews chapter 13. And so when you understand the Lord as our warrior, what we begin to understand is that Joshua and them are getting ready to go to battle. They're getting ready to take on a city of Jericho that would be an impossible task. And while you're thinking about them going on and taking out the city of Jericho, I want you to also understand this, that just as the Lord was a warrior for Joshua as they go in and take out the city of Jericho, the Lord was the warrior for David versus Goliath. If you ch- uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, I want you to see something that takes place. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 17, they meet out at a place called Ephesh Damim. Anybody know what that name means? Good, I didn't think so. I know I didn't give you a chance to answer, but listen, Ephesh Damim actually means the boundary of blood. If you know anything about the term Damim, Dam is blood in, in Hebrew. And they're meeting at the boundary of blood. Most of the times I say the reason why that was most likely called the boundary of blood is because it's where the Philistines and Israelites had met at multiple occasions. And they would meet on this battlefield. And here it is, they're out at Ephesh Damim, the boundary of blood. They're at the place where they know blood has been spilled. And they're standing against the mighty foe, the Philistines. The Philistines who, when we look at what, what the Bible tells us, the Philistines who had a, a giant named Goliath who was over nine foot, nine inches tall. Now, playing basketball, I kind of think about ten foot. And there's been like maybe five times that I've actually touched the rim, okay? So I'm speaking against my jumping ability, but... I want you to understand this. Could you imagine fighting a person nine foot, nine inches tall? That's three inches shorter than a basketball hoop. Now, when I suffer from little man syndrome, and I remember doing this a couple of times, I don't care how big you are, but I will knock you out. That was a cockiness. Could you imagine doing that in front of a nine foot nine guy, especially when you're six foot? Dude's four foot over you. He would just take out his fist and pile drive you but David comes out and in the midst of everything that goes on in 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 45 listen to what takes place David said to the Philistine you come against me with sword and spear and javelin but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty the God of the armies of Israel guess what that name is Jehovah Saba the Lord, our warrior. And David comes to battle not with, listen, not with sword, not with spear, not with javelin, not with an AK-47 or an AR-15 or a 9mm, none of that. David says, you come at me with those kinds of weapons, but I come at you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Listen to verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. Now that's little man syndrome. He didn't say, I'm going to knock you out. He says, I'm not just, I'm going to strike you down. I'm going to chop your head off, bro. Matter of fact, I'm going to chop your head off, and I'm going to carry it around. Like as a trophy. So David, the little runt, comes in and he says, I'm going to do that. And I want you to begin to see the story that's going to take place, the story that's played out. Because listen to verse 46. The day the Lord will hand you over to me and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Do you see what David is proclaiming? In the midst of the greatest struggle, in the midst of the biggest giant he will ever face, what does David claim? Does David claim his ability to defeat the giant? No, it's the ability of God. The Lord of hosts, the one who controls all the armies, all the angels' armies. Matter of fact, there's a song out, maybe you've heard it on the radio, that, that Chris Tomlin sings. The God of angels' armies is always by my side. 
And as you begin to think about that, I want you to understand that in the midst of everything that you face, all the giants, all the struggles, all the difficulties, all the weaknesses, maybe it's mental. Maybe you suffer from depression. Maybe you suffer from anxiety. And I'm not a person who's anti-medication. Please hear me out. But I want you to understand this. There is a giant in your life that can be overcome by the name of the Lord of hosts. Why? Because he can stand up for you. He will fight that battle for you. In the midst of everything that you face, God wants to fight those battles for you. You've got to just hold on. He wants to let it. He wants to let it be. He wants to work through you. He wants to battle the giants in your life. And you have to begin to look at those things and say that I come to you not with sword or spear or javelin, but I come at you with the name of the Lord of hosts, the Lord who is our warrior, Jehovah Saba. It reveals his character that in every struggle, every difficulty I face, God is the warrior who fights for me. And the biggest battle we all face, every single individual, according to the Bible, is the battle that we we deal with with sin. And Jesus says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord, Jesus, is our warrior. Why? Because he went to battle for you. His death on the cross is the ultimate battle, the ultimate victory over every foe that you can ever face, sin and death. And so the Lord is our warrior warrior. He wants us to overcome the very giants that we face, but I want you to understand that that biggest giant is that giant of sin. See, knowing Jehovah Saba, knowing that the Lord is our warrior has benefits, and understanding God's name is a gateway to God's power. You want to know how to defeat giants? You have to have access to God's power. If I have access to God's power by acknowledging God's name, because he is the warrior. He is the one who fights for us. And as you think about that, I want you to understand this, that when we face giants, you have to face giants in a very specific way. I wholeheartedly believe this, that the giants you face in your life have to be faced. Listen to what happens in verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, listen to what happens. This is little man syndrome. This is cockiness, but this is also an ability or a trust in knowing who God is. Listen to what he says. David ran what? What's your Bible say? David ran what? Quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Do you see what he said? There's no hesitation. When it comes to facing giants in your life, you run quickly to the battle lines in the name of Jehovah Sava because you rely upon God to be your warrior for every situation you face. Every struggle, every difficulty, every pain, every external battle that you face, every internal struggle that you deal with, whether it's depression or bipolar and things like that, you can run to the Lord. Why? Because he is your warrior. And so it says, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. See, I believe wholeheartedly that we can't allow things to remain or hang around. But by advancing in God's name, David positions himself to defeat someone that everyone thought was undefeatable. Matter of fact, if you're much into sports, the other night I was watching the end of the UConn ladies basketball game against South Carolina. If you know anything about sports, the UConn women had won 111 straight games. Now put that 
into perspective. That's like three and a half years of no losing. You know what? I felt so bad for him. I mean, I did. I know, it's like 111, man, they deserve to lose. Like, but, man, if I was on that team and I lost, I'd just be like, oh, there goes four national championships in a row. Everybody thought they were undefeatable. They could not be beaten. And yet the giant fell, and we must remember God's name and supremacy rather than trying to handle the battles on our own. And here's where I want to challenge you. I believe a lot of times we think, well, I just got to get tough. I just got to believe stronger. I just got to have more faith. And I want to say this to you at times. That may be true, but I also want you to understand this, that I think one of the biggest struggles is this. We try and do too much on our own. If I'm just tough enough, I'll just pull up my bootstraps. If I respond a certain way, then things will be better. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to acknowledge that, God, there is no way I can defeat this enemy without you, period. There is no way I can overcome this addiction. There is no way I can overcome my financial state. There is no way I can overcome my loss of job. There is no way that I can restore my marriage other than the fact that I know you're going to fight for me. See, there's a big picture here that takes place, and a lot of times we look at the giants and we go, yeah, I just got to face my giant. Yeah, but you got to face the giant in the proper situation or the proper way, the proper position. I position myself understanding that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, according to Philippians chapter 4, but understanding this, all things through who? Yes. When David says, I come, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. When you face those battles, when you face those struggles, you come to those battles through the name of the Lord. You call upon God to be your warrior. You ask God to give you the strength to overcome those addictions and those problems. And the funny thing is, or the great thing is, every time I've read this is that God answers. So understand, because God's name is Jehovah Saba, I can allow him to fight my battles. Because he is my warrior, I can allow him to fight my battles. Number two, this is the second name we're going to look at today, Jehovah Shalom. Yahweh Shalom. It means the Lord is peace. Kind of funny, right? Wait a second, you just talked about the Lord being our warrior and now the Lord is our peace. I, I purposely did this because in life there are a lot of times and situations and struggles that we face that oftentimes bring us uncertainty, isn't it, that case? We're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? What do I do? How do I respond? You don't have peace. Maybe you have a lot of anxiety, a lot of problems, a lot of struggles as a result of that and you say, I don't have any peace. See, peace speaks directly to our need for calm, security, and stability. God offers calm, security, and stability because he is our peace. And see, when the people, when the promised land was finally inhabited by the people, when they had walked in and inhabited this land, and they had divided the 12 tribes, there was no government, if you remember this. 
All right? At the time, there was no government. There had been no kings established yet. There was no cohesive government. But what we see is that there was unity among the Israelites. But after a while, they begin to lose their spiritual vision and they begin to turn to other gods and they begin to wander aimlessly and they begin to be disobedient. And when you read the book of Judges, you see two key phrases in the book of Judges that we see. There was no king in the land, number one. And number two, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So in the book of Judges, we begin to see this thing. They're, they're led into the promised land, and Joshua, Judges steps up. There's no real government. These judges would come about. They're kind of like prophets. They weren't military leaders, or they were kind of like military leaders or prophets. But I want you to understand what takes place. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Does that not sound like something today? Matter of fact, it's even guilty in the church because you hear things like this. Well, I give so much. So you should do what I want. Oh, my bad. I didn't know that the church was bribery. You can't bribe the church. I mean, could you imagine Jesus stand up here and have somebody come up and go, well, you know what? I gave $50,000 last year. You're going to do what I say. Yeah, that's exactly what he would be like. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's the last thing I thought. Right? And look, this is not something that's going on here, but I want you to understand what ends up taking place is oftentimes we think, well, I'll just, I'll have my say. But listen, the Lord is peace. There was no king in the land and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Judges chapter 6, if you have your Bible, you can flip over there, Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, we see this gentleman, this man, this judge named Gideon. And Gideon was a great man of God, a God who had been obedient. And if you look in Judges chapter 6, it says in verse 1, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land, ruined the crops all the way to Gaza, and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock, their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And in chapter 6, verse 6, the Lord answers. The Lord answers by raising up a leader named Gideon. And what I love about the story of Gideon is this. In the midst of everything that goes on, Gideon rises up to the occasion. Why? Because he understood the God as peace. That he was Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Listen to what he says in verse 9. What God says. This is, or I'm going to read verse 8. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you. I gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. Now, here's what ends up happening. As a result of not having a leader, as a result of everybody doing what's right in their own eyes, Sin creeps in. And we talked about this before, but there is a vicious cycle that takes place within the Old Testament, within our own lives even today, and that goes something like this. We sin, 
As a result of our sin, there's oppression, all right? There are problems. And oppression then leads us into a situation of, oftentimes, repentance. And what I've found is this. God will let you go as long as you want. You want to chase sin? He's going to be like, see ya. I'm going to let you go. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to wait for you. And once you understand you're going in the wrong direction, once you understand that everything that is happening is a result of your sin and your disobedience, I stand here. All you got to do is turn to me and repent. So there's this cycle of sin, oppression, repentance, and then God delivers. And what we begin to see is this, that we break free from sin and oppression through Jesus, who is our peace. See, disobedience disrupts peace, while obedience brings peace. And so what you begin to see right there is that they had not listened to him. And the reason they did not listen to him is because of disobedience. And the reason they were in the situation they were in, which was that the Midianites were coming in year after year, oppressing them, wiping out everything, is because of disobedience. But what's awesome about the story of Gideon is this. In verse 12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you. And listen to what he calls Gideon. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Why does he call him a mighty warrior? Matter of fact, if you notice in verse 13 and actually in verse 15, Gideon has an excuse. <laughs> Gideon doesn't, okay, it's like, it's like this. When you want something done, sometimes you go to somebody, maybe you say something like, hey man, you're really great at this, so would you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, so God shows up and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon begins to automatically question Wait a second, what's going on? If the Lord is with us, he says, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But then listen to verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? In other words, God's saying, I am sending you. I am pushing you out. But listen to Gideon again. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I love this story because you know what God is doing? God is showing that he can take somebody who the world says is unqualified for anything. Not only is he saying that our clan is the least in all of Manasseh. So you think of the tribe of Manasseh, one of the 12 tribes. And Gideon says, my clan is the least in, in, this, in this tribe. And not only that, but I'm the least in my family. Why are you choosing me? And we begin to see that God calls the unqualified because God can show greatest, the greatest ability through using people who are quote-unquote unqualified. People who don't fit the bill. People who don't fit the actual idea of what we think is worth it or what we think is the benefit. God wants to use you in a great way. And you may say, I am unqualified, but God says, it's not about you. It's about me. Because what does he say? I am sending you. And then I love verse 16. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. 
See, Gideon experienced the name of Jehovah Shalom when he experienced God's presence. And God, in the midst of calling this ordinary man or woman to do an extraordinary thing, shows his power and his ability to be the warrior, but also his ability to be the peace. Because here's where the term, the Lord is peace, comes in. Jump down to verse 24. Gideon, as a result of what's going on, realizes he needs to repent. And in the midst of his repentance, look at what he does. He goes out and he provides a sacrifice. Gideon replied, if now I have found favor, in verse 17, in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away. And then it says, I will wait until you return. Why? Because he's going to bring an offering before the Lord. He's repenting, he's offering a confession, he wants to make sure everything is right, and in the midst of that, he goes and he prepares the offering. In verse 23, the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid, you're not going to to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. In the midst of him acknowledging the sin and oppression that the people of Israel had faced, He realizes that the sin has to be dealt with and he goes and makes an offering, a sacrificial offering so that everything is fine. Gideon offers up the sacrificial offering to make sure everything is okay. There's a repentance aspect that goes there. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the repentance, God raises up the leader Gideon to lead the people into deliverance. And so while the Lord is our warrior and what we saw through Joshua and David, the Lord is also our peace in Gideon. Why? Because he offers us peace in each and every circumstance and situation we face, even the ones that seem to be impossible. For seven years they had been defeated, undefeated, the Midianites. They came in and did whatever they wanted. Much like the Yukon women in basketball. They basically imposed their will on anybody they went and played. But yet God raises up an unqualified person and sends them out and gives them everything they need to accomplish exactly what God wanted. And he offers them peace in the midst of that. So what I love about this beautiful picture of God being our peace is this, that Gideon acknowledged God as his peace. I want to ask you that, do you acknowledge God as your peace? See, the idea behind the word shalom is wholeness and harmony in relationship with God. While disobedience disrupts peace, obedience brings peace. And so what we begin to see is this, that We want to have a harmony in relationship with God. And the only way to have peace and harmony in the relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I want to read you this. Because God is Jehovah Shalom, I can experience complete peace and wholeness. See, Jesus is our warrior who had fought the greatest battle or giant we faced, and stands victorious over sin and death. But Jesus is also our peace to the point where we see this. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. 
In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Why? Because Jesus offers us peace. In John chapter 16, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. In the world you will face those battles, those struggles, those difficulties, those Midianites. You will have all those things, but God says have peace. Why? Because I have overcome the world. In Romans chapter 5, Jesus is our peace. He pays the price for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. See, when we have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus, He becomes our Jehovah Shalom. God is our peace. The Lord is our peace. The one who brings peace. The peace that passes all understanding. So as you begin to understand this, I want you to see that as we go to God, when we face the struggles and the difficulties, we can stand there knowing that God is our warrior who will fight for us. He will not let you down. He will not leave you nor forsake you. When you go to him and you call upon him as the warrior, he will fight for you. But I also want you to understand this, in the midst of the fighting, in the midst of everything that you face, he's your peace. So maybe there's some anxiety, maybe there's some worry, maybe there's some depression, maybe there's some problems in your marriage, in your finances, maybe there are things at work that are going on. Have you relied upon Jesus to be your peace? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. True peace comes when you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. That's the promise. See, Jesus' death on the cross was him being the warrior to fight the battle that you could not win. You can't defeat sin. You can't defeat death on your own. And so he is our warrior. But listen, he's also our peace. Why? Because in the midst of everything that I go through, I know that my God will never leave me nor forsake me. He wants to be your peace. He wants you to understand true peace. That peace comes in your relationship with Christ. Not in finances. Not even in work. Not in popularity. Not in notoriety. Not even, listen to this, not even in your husband or wife. You may have a peaceful relationship with your husband and wife because of what's taking place in it. But listen, if you look to your wife or your husband for your peace, it'll never be there. Why? Because they can't fill the hole that God has to fill in your life. Let's pray. God, you are our warrior.